I mean, I should be more proud of the fact that I'm a Marine and, and not I was a Marine, that I am a Marine. And that one moment is really what kind of changed how I looked forward to a lot of different things, not even in the Marine Corps League, but just in my own, you know, life and my own profession and saying, you know, I am a leader. I, I, I don't know everything, but I know how to learn to become a better leader. I should embrace this because in doing so, I think that'll help others. Hello, this is Tab Bartley, and you are listening to the Oath We Took podcast, the show that tells the Marine Corps story through the Marines that served. I'm joined today by Mike Flynn. He is the reason for this podcast. I know so many amazing Marines who hesitate to tell their stories. Their stories hold so much power and so many life lessons. Oftentimes though, they go untold. Not every Marine's story is the same. What is the same is the oath that we all took. I'm honored today to have Mike on to share a piece of his story. Mike, thank you. No, I really appreciate it. I'm glad we could uh, have the conversation. Thank you. And uh, so the first question I always start with is, why did you decide to join the Marine Corps? Wow. Well, <clears throat> I'm in that, that, that uh, standard demographics that half of the people that join are because they had a rough childhood. And uh, when I'm asked that question, usually I say, well, because I knew it would piss off my dad. Uh, but it's more than that. I mean, yeah, tough up. Up, 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 upbringing, but I wanted to prove to myself that I had value. And that was the way to do it was to become a Marine. And do you feel like becoming a Marine really, really kind of showed you your value and, and helped show you how valuable you were? You know, honestly, I can truly say that becoming a Marine has shaped my entire life. I mean, it, that is my, my benchmark to work from is what I learned and who I became and then what I've done with my life and the values I have is all kind of come out of that base. That is amazing. And what did you decide to do in the Marine Corps? Did you get a choice in what you did in the Marine Corps as far as a job? <laughs> I did. I, uh, I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm fairly intelligent, depending upon who you ask, not my wife. But uh, so I tested well. I wanted to be an airborne navigator. I thought it would be cool to fly and stuff. And then when they sat down that last week of basic training and said, you're going to be a 7,300. I had to say, well, what's that? And they said, well, you're going to be an air traffic controller. And then I had to say, well, what's that? Because my first plane ride was to boot camp. So, you know, and the, my drill instructor was really good. He says, well, you're going to talk to airplanes. And I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't know that was in that same realm, but uh, I went to Millington, Tennessee for my training. And then I started in that. Well, it's interesting. The day I flew to Millington to, to start training was the day Ronald Reagan fired all the air traffic controllers. So I went into school as all of these positions across the U.S. opened up. And probably what the public doesn't know is the majority of those spots were filled by Marines because Marine air traffic controllers are basically civilian air traffic controllers for the military. They follow all of the normal civilian rules where the Air Force has expanded clearances and stuff. The Navy is also the same, except the Navy is more carrier based, but the approach control center for LAX is on, was on El Toro. So all of the DOD guys that were pushed out, they just got replaced by all these senior NCOs who were already qualified, which opened up all these spots for brand new students. So I did my four months of school, walked into El Toro and was on a radar scope the first day. And what were some, did it impact like your experience any other ways or have any other impact on like your schooling? Um, no, because it didn't accelerate anything. They really didn't know what to do at first, but I think it came more into, um, we certainly got really good training because we weren't having to wait on each other. You know, that's one of those worlds where you can only have one person talking to an airplane at a time. So you have to spread that out with new students, but you know, through shifts and everything, I mean, we were literally from day one talking to airplanes and it accelerated really through my career to where I went from El Toro to Iwakuni 
and uh, the air station there. And um, I was fully approach. I was actually the first corporal in the Marine Corps to become approach control rated, which who knew? But how you know, cool we, is that? Yeah, because you think Iwakuni, okay, it's a small air station, but Iwakuni controls all the air traffic into Hiroshima airport. They controlled Matsuyama airport, all from a little bitty Marine Corps air station, but a huge swath of airspace. So that was just huge experience. And then the downside is I went from there to New River. So I think at Iwakuni, I had the one time I had 26 airplanes I was talking to at one time. And then you go to New River, which is all helicopters, and the most you could have was five. So I actually got really bored. And, and that was kind of the beginning of the end, I guess, is the way to put it, where I thought, you know, maybe there's other things to do with my life. But. And I never even thought about that. So you do like helicopters, airplanes, like you're, you communicate to them all the same, or is it different? Yeah. It's all the same. I mean, you understand aircraft capabilities and speeds and stuff, which is like the big factor. But, you know, you're in that setting, you're talking to then a commercial 727 and you're, the next aircraft is an A4 and then you've got some H1 flying around. So it's a big mix of things. Throw in a Japanese float plane and things get fun. So, so it was good. Before we talk about kind of like you said, like the the start of the end, I, I kind of want to know how uh, how it was in Japan and, and living that far away. And you said that you hadn't even been in a plane before you left for boot camp. So how was like that experience? Because I'm guessing you've never been that far away from home either. No, that was uh, honestly Iwakuni was great. You know, Iwakuni is a base that has a little bit more relaxed standards on the intermingling of ranks and stuff because everybody's away from home. Um, I was fairly mature for, you know, I went over as a Lance Corporal and I was fairly mature going in. So the people I hung out with were typically senior NCOs and stuff um, just because that's who I related to. So that was super great guidance that actually carried with me the rest of the career. And, and uh, I think everybody had that opportunity. You know, we still hung out with our barracks mates, right? Um, you know, we obviously did our share of drinking, did our share of stupid things. Uh, but it was just, it was a much more, I, I kind of want to call it a family atmosphere, but that's really where it was. There was a lot of, uh, of just uh, where we would go out as groups that you didn't see in the States, right? You didn't have a, a squadron party. Well, you had squadron parties, but you didn't have like a unit party so much. I never heard of any on the infantry side, really. So but it wasn't unusual in Japan where we'd all go out and, and have, you know, a picnic or something. And, and um, so it just was a little different. And as I learned to become, you know, NCO and that's where I became corporal and stuff that I think that all helped me be a better NCO because you had both sides to, to pull from experience wise. And then when I came back to the States, you know, I understood right away that this is back to the old way and, much more yes sir yes ma'am stuff versus kind of just being chill and and uh as much as i loved iwakuni it would probably be the exact opposite for new river so how was that then dealing with that almost like that high to come to something that like is is such a like lower an impact how did you how did you deal with that and manage that well i obviously drank too much water there so there's that aspect. It's interesting because it, in that time, so this is, um, so I was served, I, I joined, I actually went to boot camp February 2nd of 81. And I got out Halloween of 84. So I full term was three years, nine months out of a four year term. And at that time is when reenlistment bonuses were huge. It was like $16,000. So you would have, um, especially like an eight year veteran who would re up for the money. And they were, they were typically 0311s who then would come to the air wing. And there's no secret, the air wing's a little more relaxed, right? That's why we swing with the wing. So, uh, but that presented some challenges because I, as a corporal, I'm fully qualified and I'm the one teaching, but if I'm teaching a sergeant or a staff sergeant, you know, they had to do what I said on the scope. Not that I, I mean, I was a good instructor, 
but they also had a very good way of letting you know as soon as you were off that scope that they still outranked you. And, you know, for me, that was kind of a BS thing. It's like, we're, we're all trying to do the same mission. We're trying to do it right. And if you're hung up on the fact that you have one more stripe than I, then, you know, I think you're missing the boat, not me. But that's my opinion, of course. No, like billet outranks rank, right? Like, yeah. It yeah, is what it is. It was just the way it was. And, and you know, in the early 80s, I mean, um, Beirut happened when I was in my last year there or, or just before my last year. Um, I had just got to New River. You know, we weren't really fighting anybody. So it's a different attitude. Um, and, and I'm not that far post-Vietnam, right? So, I mean, most of the senior NCOs were all Vietnam vets that, you know, had huge ribbon boards and, and I'm, you know, I had two. So uh, just a big difference in, in the, the mentality. The, the Marine Corps did a lot of internal fighting then, I think, over, over those type things because, and this is what started me when we had our first conversation, I am a peacetime Marine. And, uh, and that impacted me for 20 years on how I looked at the Marines that I met who were not, you know, who were combat vets and, and served you know, all the way back to Desert Shield and and kind of what they did versus what I did. And uh, there's a whole segment of guys and, and, and women like me that are in that kind of 80s to 90 that uh, we're in kind of a no man's land, if you will. We don't get benefits for one. There's nothing new, you know, other than being at New River for a year and a half and drinking the water, there's nothing that helps me from the VA side of things because I wasn't in any battles or anything. And that's a challenge too, as I get older and uh, like hearing is one thing, definitely being in air traffic controller affected my hearing because you have a headset on the whole time and you're trying to hear through a lot of noise and static and everything. And, you know, I can, I, and I've been tested. I do have hearing loss. So I'm kind of looking to pursue that, but it's pretty limited. And that's, it's, it's a much more of an uphill battle to go through the VA system than, than people realize, especially if you have something that's combat connected. Yeah. And I think that that plays into, as we talked about Marines feeling like they like don't have a right or shouldn't be in a veteran organization or like those type of things, because all these different, you know, perceptions. And that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, because it's not about any of these other things. It's about the fact that you took the oath that you were willing to give your life. You can't control anything else that's going on, right? Like nothing else is in your control and what you're, I mean, you play a part in things, but not, you know, not like the world and what's going on. And so it was so important to me. And I was so excited when you said you were willing to tell your story because you then went through this journey of realizing, no, you are a Marine and your service does matter and, and the impact you can make. And so after, you know, three and a half years, you decide, you decided to get out, correct? I, yeah, I had help. <laughs> I was actually uh, up for Sergeant and um, probably can't tell, but I've never been a skinny individual. So um, there was a sergeant that um, was not a very good controller and was kind of a jerk to me. And on my way to start that process, he made me go way in and I was six pounds overweight. And, and not, a ch- not even a chance to rectify that. It was like, well, you're not eligible anymore. And, and I just said, well, if that's the way it's going to be, I'd have no reason to be here. I'll just go ahead and get out. So that's what I did, you know, and, and I mean, it's not like an easy process, but I just said, no, I turned it, you know, I just said, I'll just go ahead and leave. And, and as the, as you go through that process, the paperwork came to where, Hey, you can get out on this date. Okay. See ya. So I got out on Halloween, which I thought was probably appropriate. (laughs) Um, But uh, it doesn't, you know, and, and you have to remember too, you know, back then, you know, I'm a 22 year old kid still trying to figure out life. And, and this is something that's always interesting is the decision I made back then certainly has an impact on me now, 40 years later. 
uh, although I was able to come to grips with it and I've never had anybody bash me for it or anything. I mean, I have an honorable discharge. That's what mattered to me. If I wasn't, I, you know, if it was, if I had to stay an initial three months to affect that, I would have stayed for three months, but they said, no, you're ready. We'll go ahead and process you. And I'm like, see ya. And, and I think, and I think it's so important to know, like peer to peer or even up and down how, like how much one moment can really affect and change somebody's trajectory and an impact. And I think sometimes we don't think enough about that on the Marine Corps because it's, it sometimes feels easy to be black and white of, right. We have these rules and regulations and this is it. Okay. Great. But, (laughs) but, you know, we talk about, you know, the Marine Corps has a recruiting and retention issue right now. And so for anybody listening, I think this is a valuable moment of like leadership and and how to be a better leader. And it goes even peer to peer and, and across the board on that. And so how was the transition out for you? Well, I think that's, what's interesting is, you know, I went back home and uh, I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. So Midwest home of Caterpillar. Um, Caterpillar had been on strike. So when I got out, First off, it's November, so it's coming into winter. Um, Peoria was pretty depressed because Caterpillar had been on strike. So I think I was there for three months. And, and then uh, I still, my best friend who we both joined on the buddy system. And then we, when we went to boot camp, they sent him one way and they sent me another. And on the buddy system, we didn't see each other for another three months. <laughs> but uh, uh, we just decided to... Uh, we literally were going to move to a warmer climate, and it was either Arizona or Florida. I had a sister in Arizona. We had a really good friend in Florida and we flipped a coin. And so we, we went to Phoenix and I've been out West ever since he's turned he's back in Peoria in the Midwest area, but it just, it kind of like gave me a freedom to start over if you will, because, you know, I didn't have a career. I did not want to be, at the time, I didn't really want to be an air traffic controller. I, talking to airplanes is by far the greatest thing to do, but there is a lot that goes around that that people don't see. And so um, there's politics, whether it's in the military or it's in the civilian side. You, Anytime you start something new, you start at the bottom, even if you have 20 years experience, you're, it's a 365, 24 hour a day job high alcoholism rate, high divorce rate. So I just thought, you know, that's not really where I want to go, but I had no idea what to do with life. So I moved to Phoenix and I got into construction and I started out as a laborer and and I was just always looking for the next thing to better myself until finally in my mid thirties, I figured out a career, which I've done for 30 years now. But everything I did from starting a boot camp has helped me make those decisions on wanting to improve myself, wanting to improve my knowledge base, um, trying to find the right thing for me. I don't think I'd have had the same mindset had I not grown in the Marine Corps. For one, it gave me the maturity to do things because that was interesting going back home in that transition part of it. You know, my friends really hadn't changed. Um, They dated a lot more. (laughs) surprise surprise (laughs) but as far as life goes you know it was still about partying and and working where now it's like no I need to get on with life now I'm I'm supposed to be an adult and go from there but I never really bragged on my service you know I never had a sticker on my car it wasn't like I was ashamed of it or anything but it was kind of like it was done and then when I was in I lived in Arizona five years and then Tucson, I lived 25 years. And in Tucson is where I, um, you know, people would ask about you and that kind of stuff as you get to know people. And so people knew I was in the Marine Corps and I got asked if uh, they wanted to bring in the Vietnam wall into Tucson, uh, the traveling wall. And because I was in construction, would I be able to help? And I'm like, okay, what do you want? And they just wanted a, a level ground to put it out there. So I went to my boss and said, hey, can we do this? And they were happy to volunteer that time. But 
what was interesting, and this is what kind of set the light bulb off, is that you know we sold aggregates, including uh, decorative rock, and so not only did we clear the space, but um, our our head salesman for that side of the house heard about this, gets all this rock donated. We spread all this rock, so we made literally a huge viewing area for the wall to set on. Soup. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. All because I asked one question and where that went to, and it was like, you know, that was pretty cool to be part of. And then we were out working at the Marana Airport, and um, this was 2005. So I visibly remember when the Osprey crashed in Marana. Um, new people out there and stuff. So we're working at that airport, and the same person that I had talked to about the wall said, hey, um, there's a memorial here at the air site that they're having problems with. Would you come look at it? And I was like, okay. And what it was, was it was a, it was a Native American mosaic laid out that was literally at the crash site right next to the taxiway. And when the monsoons come in, the rain would wash that out. So they were like, we're trying to figure out what we can do so we kind of said, okay, talk to the airport manager. What are our limitations? Because you, you know, yet a plane has to be able to run over it, that kind of stuff. So we basically put a curbing around this design, and and I got all fresh rock donated from all these suppliers, and we redid that memorial. and And there's a granite centerpiece that has everybody's name on it, and it was like, yeah, that was pretty cool. And then the the head of the Marine Corps League there in Tucson came to me and said, you should join the Marine Corps League. So this is 2005. And I'm like, well, what's the Marine Corps League? <laughs> right? So, I mean, this is literally 20 years after I got out. And uh, so he talked about it and I was like, all right. Because in my mindset, I mean, like I said, that part of my life, while it was great history, it was history. And so I started coming around and getting to know these people. And, you know, the, the, Tucson uh, detachment of the Marine Corps League was based on uh, Echo Company out of uh, the Chosen Reservoir. So it's all these Korean War guys who started that. Their, the detachment number is 007, so that tells you how long they've been around. And um, so I, you know, I kind of started to get involved in stuff, and I'm kind of a, I'm a friendly guy. Enjoy a beverage or two. And uh, started to talk to these guys, and we were they were talking about careers, and 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 they were asking me, well, what did you do? And I'm like, well, nothing, you know. And anyway, this Korean War vet, who I think the world of Harold Don, he since passed, but he said, you know what, Flynn, you're full of shit. And I was like, okay. And he goes, you just didn't get the call. That's the only difference between you and me. You did all the training. You were completely ready to go, and I know you. Had you been called, you would have gone. You just didn't get the call. That's the only difference. And that's what you have to remember. You didn't do anything less than us. You went to the same boot camp. You ate at the same chow halls, probably pissed off the same people, right? And that's that's what you have to get your head around. And that had a huge impact on me. And, you know, the more I kind of wrap my head around that, then it was like, for the first time, I was like, you know, that's actually pretty true. I mean, I should be more proud of the fact that I'm a Marine and, and not I was a Marine, that I am a Marine. And that one moment is really what kind of changed how I looked forward to a lot of different things, not even in the Marine Corps League, but just in my own, you know, life and my own profession and saying, you know, I am a leader. I, I, I don't know everything, but I know how to learn to become a better leader. I should embrace this because in doing so, I think that'll help others. And so that's really what set my life on the direction it did. That so. gave me that gave me chills and it made my eyes water when you said that, like the the impact of that. And I know that when we had talked on the pre-interview that you kind of also took that as like your duty to kind of what he did for you due to other Marines as well. And and how have you kind of taken that approach and and done that? So it's, it's, there's, I think there's twofold to that. And um, for one, <clears throat> not only being just a member, but that allowed me to become into the leadership for the Marine Corps League. So um, we started a new detachment in Marana and it's 
named after Nighthawk 72, which was the call sign of the flight that crashed that killed 19 Marines. Um, we meet right there. So I got into the leadership, became the detachment commandant, and then got involved in the state. So the Department of Arizona and became the department commandant and did that. And then um, I got asked to do, you know, a few keynote speeches and stuff. And my speech was always, I had the easiest career you could have as a Marine. I went to boot camp in San Diego. So I'm a Hollywood Marine. I start, <laughs> I'm in the air wing, so swing with the wing. I'm in an aircraft controller, so I'm in controlled, heated and cooled environment the whole time. I'm in the field, right? Um, pretty protected. I did, in my four years, I did duty one time and uh, that was in Iwakuni, Japan, where you have Papasans in the barracks, so I didn't do anything. I read a book all night, but I was always essential personnel, so I really didn't get chosen for those things, you know, and then um, we were treated well, right? We didn't have to do what 0311s did, and uh, so I always have respect for that side of it, but I had a great career. I mean, I got to see some really cool stuff. I got to ride in some really cool aircraft that, uh, you know, not a lot of people get to. Um, and then it shaped kind of my thought process because when I became corporal and, and then started training other Marines to be air traffic controllers, I mean, it's obvious that I had a knack for it. And, and uh, but also a knack on the leadership side of it, which, you know, I don't think anybody that knows me would disagree with that. So. Uh, it, 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 it helped me there. And then the interesting thing, though, is as I got older, um, I didn't really think about this message itself until I, so I moved to Montana 10 years ago, and now I live in, in Bozeman. And I kind of walked away from the league because it was like, it'd be a good break. I, I have a new job. I'm living, you know, 1500 miles north of where I was. So uh, I kind of just hung out. I met a few of the members, but um, didn't go to any meetings or anything. And then finally a guy said, hey, we're kind of struggling. We know that you have this big history in Arizona. Would you come, just come to a meeting? And I was like, all right. So I did. And, and it was really funny because, uh, so those that don't know the Marine Corps League, typically we have our red cover, but as you move up in office, you and you add gold to it. So the gold center is a department commandant. So that was the that's the cover I wear because I earned it. And and that very first meeting, nobody really talked to me. And at the end, one guy turned to me and said, "Well, who are you?" And I said, "I'm just I'm Mike Flynn here to watch the meeting." Well, you're you're from the state. Did we do something wrong? And I'm like, "No, I'm not even from this state." <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't, you know, they were like, well, why would a guy with a gold cover come to our meeting? And then, you know, this is like seven, eight years ago, and then uh, getting to know them. And, and then I got convinced that to help provide leadership in Montana. So I, I did. I actually am now the department commandant in Montana. And I'm also in August, I'll be the uh, national vice commandant for the Northwest Division. So I would have never guessed going to those levels and, and, you know, I'm not really going to go any higher. That's the only way to go higher is to become a, a member of the board. And I don't really need to do that, but, you know, I, I'll look at wrapping up my work career and then my Marine Corps career, Marine Corps league career kind of at the same time. And then I can do what I want and kind of enjoy what I want retirement on both sides where I can still be involved. I'm always going to be able to, you know, like locally, I'll always be able to give advice and stuff and guidance and, and, uh, kind of express the importance of why tradition is what it is and why some things need to be adhered to and some things, you know, maybe there's a little gray, but um, that's been pretty successful. I've got to meet some just fabulous people over that, over my time that I would not have met otherwise. So it's good to be around people that have a like mindset. And I think that's one thing that Marines bring to the table is it doesn't really matter when you serve, or what you did, and I'm living proof of that, you still have a pretty similar mindset. And, uh, you know, you, you it's hard to step back and say, well, it's Marine Corps first, because it's not really. Because if you look at it, it's, it's Marine Corps always, in whatever you do. 
there's always that aspect that stays with you. And that's what I, you know, it took me 20 years to learn that. But the last 20 years, I've been able to profess that and use it to my advantage, which is why I've been successful, in, you know, in, in most things is to be able to say, hey, I know what my capabilities are. Uh, and the reason I know that is because I was shown at 18 years old, this is what you can do. So that that's kind of the full circle of where it's got me to, to where I am today. And then to be able to meet people like you, and, and I've, I've done another, a couple other podcasts, but one specifically where we talked about this topic, and it's the first time I kind of put all this into words of, well, what does this really mean? What is the transition back to civilian life? Because today's transition is different from when you transitioned and your transition is different from when I transitioned. I mean, it's just the way it is. Everything progresses, but but I think the commonality is, is you know, we aren't waking up to orders every morning. So now what? And and we all have to come to grips with what that means for us, whether we're a 30-year veteran or a three-year veteran. Yeah, and I think it's hard, and especially for those, like you said, like those Marines maybe who don't feel like Marines or don't feel like they qualify enough depending on when they served or what their experience was or whatever. And I think the reason uh, for me, you know, I, I've talked about it before. I previously had a horrible experience with the Marine Corps league that literally turned me so far off of every veteran organization that I had. I felt like I had to create my own to then where I am now, where like our detachment commandant, as soon as he heard I was moving here, reached out and was like, what do you need? Not just like come join the detachment, but what do you need? I see you're moving to this area. And I just, the value of, I think the Marine Corps League and being around Marines and other veterans is so high. And I think, especially for those who, your transition could take 20 years, right? Your transition technically took 20 years and they can like, in so many different ways, right? Because the transition isn't just finding a career. It's not just finding a place to live. It is it is so much more than that. So what would you tell those Marines who maybe don't feel like Marines or hesitant to try a veteran organization or to be involved in any aspect of the veteran community? What would you tell them or what advice would you give them? Well, first is you're not alone. And, and that saying has become very prevalent in the last you know two years, especially when we look at veteran suicide, but it's it's well beyond that. It's if you're a veteran, there are like veterans, right? Even though their experiences may be same, may be different, you still have that same benchmark to build from, and that you attended boot camp somewhere in some way, and you enrolled in an organization where at some point in time, you could have been asked to give your life at any moment. We're the only organization that has that, right? I mean. Law enforcement is very similar, I get it, and there's a lot of parallels, but it's different. Um, you know, it's one thing to protect your street. It's another thing to go protect somebody else's street 10,000 miles away. And our history of wars kind of proves that out too. So that's the first thing is just remember you're not alone. And the second thing is, is you will find when you go into those organizations and whether it's the American Legion, the VFW, you know, the DAV, whatever it is, right? There are going to be like-minded people no matter what your experience was. Because we all get wrapped up in the think that, well, this is this is what I had to do. Well, that I is, there's a million other eyes out there, like it or not, who uh, had similar things. Not everybody had great luck. Some people had pretty shitty luck, right? Some people had things happen to them that was out of their control. Okay, life just tells you, you just got to suck it up, you know, and that's one thing that I think the military in general helps you deal with, but especially in the Marine Corps, there's real value there because you look at, just compare us to other military sides, we don't have equipment, we don't have funding, right, we have small force, and yet we kick ass because of here, and, and that gives you the advantage when you're out and you're looking for assistance, well, if you're a Marine, I have nothing against the Legion. I think the Legion is awesome. The VFW, I've not been around as much, but it's very similar, right? And, uh, you know, I look at like Elizabeth Hartman on LinkedIn and what she posts. That that girl's got it going on, right? 
Fantastic. Probably because she's a Marine. Probably because she's a Marine. <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's no question. But point being is you, you can find people that have at least very similar circumstances, but people who also understand it's not always the easiest thing to talk about. And, and I think what I found especially is that no one pushed me to tell my story. It, it was allowed to come out kind of naturally. You know, some guys are really good at asking key questions, right? Which is, that's, that's just not in here, that's everywhere, right? That, that's, that's, a, that's a skill. And when you get that into somebody to say, you know, you're, you have, you have, you go to your meeting and hopefully there's a, there's a after hour meetings or there's times where you can just kick back and stuff. You know, if you do a monthly happy hour or anything like that, or, you know, if you go to the Legion, typically it's at a bar, right? Or they have their own bar. Just sit down and relax. You don't have to have an alcoholic drink, have a soda. Nobody's going to give you a hard time for that. But just meet some people and start to hear their stories. And when you get comfortable, you'll find that you can start to tell yours. But how cathartic that is for me, and, and I've seen it for others as well, is pretty amazing to where, you know, a year later, they're like, Flynn, if I had not taken your advice, I don't know how my life would be so different right now. And I'm just like, you didn't really take my advice. I just kind of opened up something that was there that you just didn't see. So that's, that's, you know, you can call it advice, but I just showed you something that you were blind to before, whether, you know, and yeah, that's metaphorically, but still it's, uh, you're just giving somebody an opportunity and it's up to them to take it. And there are some people who don't take it. You know, there are some people who can't get beyond that. And you hope that they're able to find their direction, but, those that come in, you know, you look at 90 plus percent are like, yeah, this has been the greatest thing forever. And that doesn't mean we have a clean house. We have been fighting, right? We're a political organization. The head guy is the head guy. And there's always another guy who says that guy sucks. <laughs> right? So it's no different, you know, and those are some parallels. Uh, but the only way to change it is get involved. And, and, and I, and you talk about that too. And like you say, we have similarities and we do, but it doesn't mean we all believe all the same things, right? Like there's other things that you can have similarities with people. Cause I, I think that that's, that seems to be um, maybe a generational, like, you know, like think that maybe like there's going to be a generational gap or a conversation gap. And it's like, there's so many things, especially as Marines that we can relate to with each other. Yeah. And it, I mean, I have a very good friend who's hundred percent politically opposite of me. Right. But we're never going to get let the fact go that we still served on the same ground, you know, and, and I think that's hugely important to recognize politics is important and there's a place for it. But when you're standing next to somebody and you're both looking at, you know, an adversary in front of you, whatever that is, whether it's a person, a thing, an idea, whatever, there is a common way to battle that, even though you're on different ends of the spectrum. You know, and, and not to get too political. I mean, that's what we've lost in the country right now is can you both talk about the same issue without trying to kill each other, right? Well, we had to learn to do that in the military, right? Because we weren't allowed to kill each other, right? You weren't allowed to beat on each other and stuff to some degree, but um, but it gave you the ability to, to, to accept the fact that you're being told what to do and you may not like it, but that's the way it is. And I do think that does roll over into life as well is, you know, there are some things that you have to do, whether it's part of your profession or it's paying your house payment or whatever it is. And if you don't, there's consequences. And the, the, the military, specifically the Marine Corps, makes you very aware of the consequences. So that's another life factor that gets built into you that you take with you forever. And yeah, there's some shitbags out there, right? That's, that's with every, every organization in the world. But I'd much rather at least have the opportunity to talk to that guy and say, you know, you stood where I stood. There are things that I can do to help you when you're ready. And sometimes you have to help them figure out that when time. But, you know, you can't force anybody to do anything that they don't want to. But I think you'll find that most people, even though they're vocal, they're seeking something. So you're just trying to give them an opportunity to talk about it. And you know, it's funny because now, you know, it's 
we do enter we do introductions every time when we do our meeting and we talk about your years of service and your MOS. And when I first started in the Marine Corps, it was predominantly in the Marine Corps League, it was predominantly Vietnam vets. And the older guys were the Korean vets. Well, now I'm the old guy. We still have a couple of Vietnam guys in there, but these are all guys in their mid seventies, right? I'm in my early sixties. So um, for the first time I did a cake cutting November 10th last year and I was the old guy. And I'm just like flipping out. I'm like, there's no way. And they're like, no, it's you, you know? And they had to convince me that, that they weren't lying to me so that I would just, cause they knew I'd cut the cake and, and, but it was true. And that, you know, there again, is at some point, at some point tab, you're going to be the old Marine. Oh, right? I just and became the youngest. <laughs> well, same thing. I felt the same way is, is uh, I was always the young person. And, and as the years go by, eventually the tables are flipped and and I am the one now that's able to give advice to the younger people coming in and every or every fraternal organization is hurting for membership with a couple of exceptions but it is because you have to have that changeover in leadership and the struggle is and it's just like in the Marine Corps the old guys don't always want to give up power because they have to face new as well they have to face energy, right? That's what you lose as you get older is energy. But, and then the new people coming in, bring all this energy. They just don't know what to do with it. Well, boy, if you could mash that up, you really got something. And there are some leaders out there that are now, social media has allowed some, some public actions that you would never have seen before. And I think you and Elizabeth are great examples of that where you've taken hold of social media and you've definitely used it to your advantage. You know, I don't think I'll ever have a YouTube channel, right? My daughter's had one since she was 12, plus she plays video games. So just a whole different mindset, yet, you know, she'll tell you about growing up when I would wake her up and I would sing the Marine Corps hymn standing over her bed, right? So she knows the words, you know, she's 30 now, she knows the words of the Marine Corps hymn. And you know, she laughs about it, that it, that she liked, she loved it back then because that was dad bonding with daughter, right? So, you know, it's a good experience. And without the Marine Corps, besides not knowing the hymn, you know, I probably would not have raised my child that way. It would have been a more passive thing. But I, I think that also helps us too when we look at, you know, other service members. When you get out and you're transitioning, typically if you don't have a young family, you're going too soon. And that we allow to get in the way of kind of maintaining those circles around us because it is full time consuming. And I totally get it, it should be, you know, but if you just keep that one little tentacle tied into a fraternal organization, the Marine Corps League, BFW, Legion, whatever, the resources that that bring you, you don't understand yet. And Typically, you don't understand the resources until you need them. Well, if at least you have that one line out there, they are available to you and you and that information comes to you so that when you are faced with it, you're like, hey, I've already got stuff on this. I know where I can start versus having no clue. And it's like, I don't even know who to go to. Right. I go to the VA and it's like, well, are you here for the job fair? I'm like, no, I want to hear about benefits. Oh, well, that's a different office. Okay, how would I know, right? So, I mean, that's kind of how that all worked and, and learning it firsthand. Well, now we have the ability to say, you know, you don't have to do it that way. There's easier ways and, and here's one. So I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. No, that's, I mean, there's so much good information about that. And I think too, like, just for like veteran organizations, that is why it's so important for you to do a variety of events so that those type of individuals maybe all they can participate in is family events, but you're getting to interact with them. So at the point when they can, they all, again, they are involved um, and, and involved in your community because that's the other thing that, again, with you, like you moved to a whole different place. Had you been involved in the Marine Corps League sooner, any veteran organization, you may have made more community connections sooner as well. Yeah, I would have any of that. So, I mean, it, I came already having that in my background so that when I was ready to start back up, it was super easy. I knew exactly where to go. And in fact, I'd already met a couple of them because, you know, I'm still a Marine. So, <laughs> yeah. 
but you know, uh, it's really funny is, and, and what I love about the Marine mentality is that we are Marines. So there, there's a half dozen here. And in, in, so in my office in Bozeman, there's anywhere between 120, 150 people, there's like a half dozen of us that are Marines. And we're okay to say that out loud. And most of the people know, usually because when you walk in the office, there's something on the wall that would dictate that. But I have I have come in and someone has been waiting to see me and, and that's what they're doing is they're looking at my coins, you know? And they're like, wow, where did you get all these? And I'm like, well, a couple of them I bought, but most of them have been given to me. Well, how do you do that? I mean, what do they even mean? And then you explain what a challenge coin is and why you use it and, you know, all those things. But it, it, opens, it opens their world up to kind of what my background is and then you get it allows you to have conversations with someone who was totally non-military on why I thought it was important and what the military does for them besides just the whole being, you know, we're, we're, we are the ones that give you the ability to say what you say in those things. And, and you look at everyone who's gone before us and what the sacrifices they've made, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons you're able to stand in my office and have this conversation versus being assigned to go work somewhere where you don't want to live and being assigned to do the job that you want to do. I mean, that's what freedom is about. And I think America is the epitome of what freedom could be. You know, are we, are we perfect? Absolutely not. But you're not going to have this conversation in the, the middle of Argentina, you know, or in the middle of Ethiopia or in the middle of, of you know, parts of Russia even, but even that's changing. So it's good to be able to, to, to have the military background and it's, it's super, I mean, it's very well respected now. I do know when I got out in 84, there wasn't anybody saying thanks for your service. I can tell you that. Um, most of the Vietnam vets still had that shadow over them where they weren't really accepted and stuff. And that was very prevalent when I got out. And of course I didn't want anything to do with that. So uh, that's something that's really changed for the better that, as you come in now and, and, you know, I don't, I'm sure there's a demographic out there, but the average age of exiting the Marine Corps is probably 24 years old, maybe 23, somewhere in there. If you did your, if you did your typical four years, right. But it's, it's, you're younger than 25 is, is the base point, right? Well, you are so much better prepared to take on challenges in life than the person that you graduate high school with, who's just finally graduated from working fast food right and and that's what you have to learn to take advantage of well here's organizations that can help you do that you know you want to get tied into the job community well if you're a vet you have all this stuff available let me show you where it is and then go do what you want you know and just having that kind of a conversation i think that comes back to you even though you never get an actual thanks you know it's amazing how many times i've run into people who have said hey i remember you I worked on this job with you and, you know, and, and so I'm a safety guy. That's I'm a corporate safety director now, but I mean, I started in as a field safety guy and, and 20 years later, it's like, you really helped me understand how to protect myself and then now how to protect my family. And it's like, yeah, that's all I need to hear. You know, that's a, that's a great career then if I got people telling me that. Yeah. And it does happen, but it's the same thing. It's even the opposite is true is like, I'm uh, so I always carry a coin and I'll be traveling somewhere. And I used to, I, I actually sold my Harley last year, but when Harley rides or whatever, and there'll be an obvious Marine that's, you know, he's just kind of hanging by himself usually. And he's on his bike, but he's got either a sticker or a flag, or whatever. And I just always go introduce myself and give him my coin. And it is amazing to see the change in attitude when you're just telling someone else, I was where you are. And I just want to say, thanks. And uh, the look that comes over their facial features and stuff of it, the acceptance side of it, but also the appreciation of someone taking the time to recognize them. Amazing. And I've had the same amazing experiences. And I'll just tell you a real quick story that still gets me today. Um, my younger brother um, does a lot of Patriot Guard riders. He's much more of a rider than I was. He was He's a full-time, rides to work every day, that kind of stuff. And I just moved to Montana. So he called me up and said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, uh, nothing. You know, I think I've lived here not even six months. So we're coming through on the Patriot Guard to Bozeman. Come with us. All right. 
and there was a Marine um, that was uh, killed in an accident in, in basic training. And he was flown into Bozeman and then he was being driven to Helena where the funeral was. Never been on a Patriot Guard ride, but I was in the Marine Corps League still. So um, went on the ride, totally awesome because we were escorted by the highway patrol. So we're doing you know like 75 down the country highway, which was great. Sirens. I mean, it was there, and there was like probably a hundred bikes. So it was, it was great. And I get there and we're all kind of lined up and stuff. And I put my cover on and just not thinking about it, but I just wanted to be respectful of this was another Marine. Well, the chaplain is some gunny comes over, talks to me, introduces himself. Three other guys in uniform come over and talk to me. And I'm just literally standing in the background wearing my cover. But it was just that identification. And then finally, my brother is like, well, who are you? And I'm just like, it's, they don't know me. It's just, I wore my cover. They knew I'm a Marine. And they're just acknowledging that there is a brotherhood there. You know, and then to be part of that. And, and so I felt, I felt super thankful that out of the blue, my brother called me to go on that ride and led to some self-gratification where I was appreciated to being there to support a family and, and, and a dad who was, you know, obviously had lost his son and to be able to help give that person solace. But yet I was thanked for it by the recognition of my role of being a Marine. And that's all I did was stand there. So pretty cool to, to see those kind of little examples. And when you start to ask veterans about those kind of moments and they start to think about it, almost always, and it doesn't even matter what, bra what branch of service, most of them can find that nowadays they have had a similar thing where somebody went out of their way for them just because they were identified as being a member of the service. That's what we have to give back is to be able to help recognize when those opportunities are there and what they really mean. It's really cool to have somebody say, thank you for your service. And I appreciate it every time. And I always say it was my honor because it really was, right? It wasn't my duty. I chose it, right? But um, to say that back to them with conviction, then they are kind of like, oh, cool. You know, and, and it, it goes full circle. That's the message we need to get out there is that you are thanked for what you've done. Now you're a civilian. What you did doesn't go away. Right. So it's okay to take advantage and, and to tell people, hey, this is who I am. Because it is who I am because I went to boot camp and everything that follows. So that's me. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love your story. And I'm so thankful to have had you on the podcast. And before we wrap up, I have one final question for you, sure. which is if you had to take the oath again, would you? Oh, absolutely. I, I wouldn't hesitate. I would have to get in shape. <laughs> no, I've never, I've never been sorry for going in the Marine Corps, even the couple of times where I could have been somewhere else, but I've never been sorry for being there. And honestly, I've always been treated very respectfully because of it. So I think that's something that stays with you. And I also know that not everybody has that same opportunity or those same experiences, but it's what it's been for me. And I'm glad I can pass that on to the younger generation. This is the Oath We Took podcast, and you just heard a piece of Mike's story. You now know one more Marine and one more piece of Marine Corps history. His sacrifices matter. His stories matter. Not every Marine story is the same. We didn't all join the Marine Corps for the same reason. What is the same is the oath that we all took. An oath that easily could have ended in death, and for some, it did. So listeners, instead of asking you to thank a Marine for their service, I am going to challenge you to continue to listen to their stories instead. <laughs>